I do want to share with you the fact that this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, a day that is set aside uh, across churches in America to recognize the fact that uh, in our country uh, and around much of the world, it is legal to take the life of the unborn through abortions. It is legal in some areas to assist someone in suicide if they are in a great deal of pain or if they are in a terminal condition, medical condition. It is also legal to disconnect someone from life support. And uh, uh, if the local medical community deems it's uh, necessary, and, and so much more of, of these bills and these things have passed in our country and around the world today. Uh, folks, this is the state that we live in. This is the condition, the culture in which all of us live in today. And it has been that way for quite some time. But the one I believe that gets the most attention is abortion, or at least abortion on demand, if we want to call it what it really is. It is no doubt the leading cause of death in the United States today. Almost 60 million human beings have been slain in our country since the uh, abortion became legal in 1973. Almost 60 million people. 60 million little babies. That's a number in which we just throw out there. A couple years ago it was 40 million. A couple years before that it was 38 million. It just, it just keeps going up and, and we get used to it. Frankly, to be honest with you, I don't deal in those kinds of figures. I don't even really know what 60 million looks like. I've never seen 60 million dollars. I've never seen 60 million pennies. I've never seen 60 million of anything at one time. But it is a large number, nonetheless. This is probably why it gets most of the attention, is because it is the largest number of deaths. This is, you know, I read somewhere it is said that this is the largest recorded slaughter of human life ever to take place in history. Think about that statement. It is the largest recorded slaughter of human life ever to take place in history. Not much to be proud of there, is there? I realize some of you will want me to say more on this topic of abortion I'm going to say, and some will want me to say less, because it's uncomfortable. Nevertheless, it is what it is, and it can't be ignored. It can't continue to be ignored on and on and on. And so we're going to talk a little bit about it today. Years ago, and I may have mentioned this, but years ago, the pro-life crowd used to say this. And I think it was true to a point. We're going to talk about it a little bit. They used to say, the most dangerous place to be today is in the womb of a woman who doesn't want her unborn child. Did you guys ever hear that? Remember that was a, only me? Okay, some of us used to hear that years ago. It was like their, their rallying cry. But, you know, no matter, no matter how harsh uh, that statement may be, there's a certain amount of reality to it. There's a certain amount of truth to it. They would compare this, this statement to, to going to war. Uh, they would compare it to living in the inner city. They would compare the numbers to, to, to being in overcrowded prisons and different things like that. 
And hence they would make this statement that the most dangerous place to be today is in the womb of a woman who doesn't want her unborn child. It does represent a certain amount of truth. And it does represent a certain reality in our life today because, think about this, a woman is free to take the life of that baby within her without any fear of criminal accusations even being levied against her. And it's, she, she's often encouraged to do so. Oftentimes by the father of the child, or by her parents, or by her friends, or by society in general. And listen closely. This is, this is the sad part of today in which we live. It is becoming much more accepted as a way of life to do this, to have an abortion. It is becoming much more accepted as a way of life to, 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 to get rid of a past mistake that we've made. Or maybe to, to, to get rid of a, a past lapse in judgment that we've had. Or, or get past a moment of heated passion that just got out of hand. And we sit and think oftentimes, well, I can understand that. I've made mistakes. I've been in those situations. I remember when I was, and I don't mean to pick on any particular group, just was just an easier illustration. I remember when I was a teenager. Folks, and it's not just outside the church. You knew it would creep in, didn't you? Didn't you? I mean, this battle's been going on a long time. You knew it would creep in. It is also within the church as well. Let me tell you this. I don't want you to be too shocked. There was a recent Barna study that showed that 53% of the Christians they surveyed thought abortions were wrong. Now, most Christians thought, think abortion's wrong, but they're talking about this group I'm about to share with you. 53% of Christians that they surveyed thought abortions were wrong, but understood why one might have to or want to go that route. Think about that. And it doesn't really matter. This is what I used to say when I always heard someone use a statistic, you know, uh, when they just use the generic term Christians, because we always take it as someone who's, who's born again, right? Well, Barna doesn't always do that. Sometimes if you claim to be a Christian, a Christian can be a, a number of different things. Uh, and, and, and he doesn't explain that in the survey. But I was thinking about that and I said, does it really matter? Does it really matter whether they're born-again Christians or claim to be Christians? 53% of them believe that abortion is wrong, but they understand why someone might have to or want to go that route and have an abortion in the church today. That's amazing to me. And it should be amazing to you. It should be shocking to you. But you know, I found the older I get, the less shocked I become with things like this. Even in our churches today. After all, think about this. Generations, at least two, have never known what it is like to live in a country where abortion is illegal. Now, some of us old-timers can remember when it was illegal. But there are many, it's always been legal. It's always been okay to do. Maybe not morally, and they understand it, but it's 
just something they've grown up with and grown up through. This morning, I want to point out just a couple of things to help us understand, once again, the importance of this issue. The first thing I'd like to point out to you is this. I'd like to inform you of what is happening. I do believe that all of us here have set through time and time again a Sanctity of Life Sundays. We, we, we even read about it in our magazines we get sometimes, and we know it's all taking place, this abortion issue. We know all what's happening. But I still believe most of us don't know what is happening in abortion other than that it is extreme. And now that you heard the number this morning, almost 60 million people, that is extreme. And we sit in the pews, and when I read this, I said to myself, yeah, that, that sounds about right, it's keeping pace, it's slowed down a little bit, but that doesn't surprise me. It should be about there. Do you realize how many people would be with us today if those 60 million people were still alive? That should be a good thing, folks. We know that it is a bit of a political issue, political football, as they say, this topic of abortion. Not as, not as much as it once was. I can remember 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe even longer than that, the pro-life stance on, during election time was so, so uh, what do I want to say, forceful and so important that people... They didn't care what most of the other issues were about a political, uh, about a candidate, unless they were pro-life. And then they, they started with pro-life and then went down from there on the other issues. Not so much today. Not so much. We, we've, we've become accustomed to it. Because now, I mean, now we're looking for that political leader that, that are, that's, that's talking about other things like the economy. That's good. The economy is good, but that's what we're looking for. Or, or a leader who will keep us out of war. I don't want to vote for somebody who's prone to go to war. Or, or something like that. You know, which isn't, by the way, near as deadly as abortion. If you combined all the wars together, it wouldn't amount to 60 million lives. Or we look for a candidate... On what they're going to be, what's their, what's their stand going to be on immigration? What's their stand going to be on, on the medical coverage that we have in our country today? And hopefully, they make the stands we want, and hopefully, they will also be against abortion as well. We've kind of turned it around some. Not with everyone, but as, as, as a Christian culture, it has turned around some. We don't want to go to war. We need medical coverage, right? We, we, we need a good economy. If we don't have a good economy, well, then our families will suffer. The churches will suffer. I mean, we have all that. And, and you know what? Hopefully, they're pro-life. If we were hard-pressed, I believe, today most of us would struggle to give details on the facts and figures of this dreadful condition in our country regarding abortion. So I'm going to look at a couple of verses in Scripture this morning to help, us, to, to help show us, I truly believe, the times that we're living in, and maybe, maybe it'll help motivate us to be better informed, as Daryl prayed about earlier in this service. So take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and also turn to Romans chapter 1. As you know, 
I don't do the PowerPoint, so it's not going to be up on the screen. And most of you just have your Bibles memorized anyhow, so it says it'll go right along. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, both of these passages have to do with the, the days in which we're living in, as many will tell us. I want to I suggest to you that this is a major reason we find ourselves in such tragic conditions in our country as it relates to this issue of abortion on demand. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just want to read verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Look what, <clears throat> excuse me, what the Bible says. Timothy says, but understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Your Bible, if you have anything other than the ESV, will say perilous times. Understand this. We need to understand this. That's what it tells us to do. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, or there will be perilous times. These times of difficulties and, and, and perilous times literally means grievous times or tragic times. And it is found elsewhere in Scripture to, to mean savage times. Now think about this. Are we living in savage times? And you may be sitting there saying, well, I don't know. What is savage times? Well, flip over to Romans chapter 1. We can see these savage times spelled out for us in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, here Paul's talking to the church in Rome. He's describing those who are unrighteous. And if you look at him in verse 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and, gave, and God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, they were filled with a manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. <clears throat> haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Listen, we're living in times like this. We're living in times like we see in verse 31 foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless times. We may not experience it daily, but any time we can live in, a, in an era where 60 million babies are killed, those are ruthless, heartless times. And I know most of us, when we talk about the last days, we expect it to be like Depression-era times and and people are just running around slaughtering people in town, and, and that's what we somehow in our mind, or maybe something not exactly like that, but similar to that, that's the times they're talking about. Folks, we're slaughtering 60 million babies. And you say, oh, I'm not slaughtering them. Our culture is. Our government is. Our people are. That's the culture you live in. Ruthless, heartless, faithless, foolish times, savage times, perilous times that we are living in. These are, the, these, are, these are the times we live in, folks. Almost 60 million lives gone. A time where the mother's rights are, uh, eclipse all other rights, even the rights of a baby that lives within her, which she did not cause, but God did. 
Don't be fooled, folks, by these false statements and statistics of rape and incest and things like that before you start going down that path. Most of you already know this, but just let me remind you, over 97% of all the children killed by abortion in this country are killed by reasons for, of convenience and for no other reason. Not because of rape, not because of incest, not because of the, uh, 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 the, the, the potential danger to the mother. These are the savage times. But we don't, like to, we don't like to feel like it. We don't like to feel like we're in savage times. Then there's the second point I want to point out, and that is to stimulate us or to motivate us to be involved. This is not, some, this is not the kind of issue that we simply agree to pray about, but we do need to pray about it. There's a war going on, and it demands our attention. It demands action, and, it's, and our action needs to be based on convictions, convictions from the Scriptures, and make no mistake, this is a war. It is a war on the unborn. And the tragedy of this is those who are getting killed can't even defend themselves. That's where we come in. That's where we step in. Let's just take a look at just, at just one principle. And there are others, but let's take a look at just one principle that deals with this war. And you need to go with me real quick because we're just about done here. And I need to show a video. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, real quickly. Genesis chapter 1. Here in Genesis chapter 1, God has already created heaven and earth and water and the sky and grass and all that. And he has separated them. And now he's about to create man. And if you look with me in verse 26, he says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over, and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then verse 27 he says, So God created man, how? In his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. In our image. After our likeness, God says. In His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Never before has this appeared in creation. And it never will appear pertaining to animals or to plants or to any other of God's creation. This is limited to human life. Only human life possesses the image of God. makes a big difference when you look at Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 and so on. And you'll see that only human life can walk with and can talk with the Creator. Animals cannot do that. Plants cannot do that. Fish can't do that. Birds can't do that. Nothing else can. Only human beings. Therefore, it stands to reason that when you get over this in the end of the book of Exodus and, and you look at the Ten Commandments and in Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 we read, Thou shalt not murder. Have you ever wondered why God puts that in there? We just assume it must because it's the right thing to do. Which it is. But why is that in there? Because, because there's something precious and something distinct about human life. So precious and so distinct that it must be preserved. It houses Within it, the very image of God. You see, God says we're to, we, we, we represent his handiwork, and we're not to kill it. We're not to murder it. And if you think I'm exaggerating, well, there are a number of passages in Scripture that we could turn to 
and it would prove that this is so. I'm just going to give them to you. We're not going to turn there. I'll give you two. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, read those after we leave here. In Psalm 139, 13 through 16, read those. Those two passages alone will help distinguish that we are separate as part of God's creation. Folks, I want you to think about this. We are here today, everybody's sitting here in this auditorium because our mother said, yes, I'll have the baby. Isn't that true? And we must never forget that there is a war on, and God plans is greater than our rights. And his, his plan is more magnificent than, than our inconveniences. And so I just want you to keep that in mind. We're going to see a video clip right now. And it's, a, it's, it's both moving and informational. It's going to go over a little bit. It's about 15 minutes, so we're going to be here a little longer. So I'll have the safety team tell the people in the nursery they're going to be about four minutes late, okay? But it's, it's, a, it's, it's moving. It's informational. You may have seen it before, uh, some of you, but, but just as many of you probably haven't seen it. It was produced in 2008, uh, but the message is just as important today as it was back then. It's by a woman named Gianna Jessen, who has uh, spoken all over the world. Uh, uh, she's spoke at the House of Commons in, in England, and she's spoken in Italy, and she's, uh, she's shared her story before the Judiciary Committee in 2016 in, in our House Judiciary Committee. She's been with President Bush when he signed the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, and so many more. This video we're about to see is a clip that she's speaking in the Parliament House in, in Victoria, Australia. And uh, let's watch and see what she has to say. And if her story doesn't touch you, then I think our hearts have certainly grown cold. And after the video's over, Pastor Mike's going to come and close the service. So let's run that now. I'm adopted, and my biological mother was 17, and so was my biological father. She was seven and a half months pregnant when she decided to go to Planned Parenthood, which is the largest abortion provider in the world, and they counseled her to have a late-term saline abortion, which is a saline salt solution that is injected into the mother's womb. The baby gulps that solution, it burns the baby inside and out, and then she is to deliver a dead baby within 24 hours, and to everyone's great shock and surprise, uh, I didn't arrive dead, but alive on April the 6th, 1977, in a Los Angeles County abortion clinic. What's fantastic about this, about the perfect timing of my arrival, is that the abortionist was not on duty yet. So he wasn't even given the opportunity to continue on with his plan for my life, which was death. And I know that I am in a government building, and a beautiful one it is, and I love your country as well as my own. But I know in the age that we live in, it is not at all politically correct to say the name of Jesus Christ in places like this. To, to bring him into these sorts of meetings because his name can make people so terribly uncomfortable. But I didn't survive so I could make everyone comfortable. I survived so I could stir things up a bit. And I have a great time doing it. And so I was delivered alive, as I've already said, after 
18 hours. I should be blind, I should be burned, I should be dead. And yet I'm not. You know what is fantastic vindication is the fact that the abortionist had to sign my birth certificate. <laughs> so I know who he is. And it also says for any skeptic listening on my medical records, born during saline abortion. Ha! They didn't win. I've done some research on the man that performed the abortion on me. And his clinics are the largest chain of clinics in the United States of America, and they gross $70 million a year. I read him say, I read a quote from him at some point uh, several years ago, and he said, I have aborted over a million babies, and I consider it my passion. I tell you these things because, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we are in an interesting battle, whether we realize it or not, in this world. It is a battle between life and death. What side are you on? So a nurse called an ambulance and had me transferred to a hospital, which is absolutely miraculous. Generally, the practice at the time, and up until 2002, was, in, in my country, was to end the life of an abortion survivor by strangulation, suffocation, leaving the baby there to die, or throwing the baby away. But in, on August the 5th, 2002, my extraordinary President Bush signed into law the Born Alive Infants Protection Act to prevent that from occurring anymore. You see, we're playing for, for keeps. We're playing for, I mean, I'm hoping to be hated by the time that I die so that I can feel God about me and understand what it was to be hated. I mean, he was hated. Christ was hated. And not that I look forward to being hated, but I know along my journey, I know I'm already hated because I declare life. I say, you didn't get me. The silent Holocaust didn't win over me. And my mission, ladies and gentlemen, many, uh, among many things, is this. To infuse humanity into a debate that we have just compartmentalized and set on a shelf and said it is an issue. We have removed our emotions. We are becoming harder. Do you really want that? How much are you willing to take and how much are you willing to risk to, to speak the truth in love and graciousness and stand up and at least be willing to be hated? Or at the end of the day, is it all about you? Or me? And so... 
After that, I was placed in an emergency foster care home where they decided they didn't like me very well, and as I'm fond of saying, I don't know how you could not adore me right from the start. What is wrong with these people? But they didn't. You see, I've been hated since conception. By so many, and loved by so many more, but most especially by God. I'm his girl. You don't mess with God's girl. I got a sign on my forehead that says, you better be nice to me because my father runs the world. <laughs> so after I was placed in the mean home, I was taken out of the mean home and placed into another home, a beautiful home, Penny's home. And she, she said, by this time I was 17 months old, 32 pounds of dead weight, and diagnosed with what I consider to be the gift of cerebral palsy, which was caused directly by the lack of oxygen to my brain while I was trying to survive. Now, I am just compelled to say this. If abortion is merely about women's rights, ladies and gentlemen, then what were mine? There was not a radical feminist standing up and yelling about how my rights were being violated that day. In fact, my life was being snuffed out in the name of women's rights. And ladies and gentlemen, I would not have cerebral palsy had I not survived all of this. So when I hear the appalling, disgusting argument that we should have abortions because the child just might be disabled. Oh, the horror that fills my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, there are things that you will only be able to learn by the weakest among us. And when you snuff them out, you are the one that loses. The Lord looks after them, but you are the one that will suffer forever. And what arrogance, what absolute arrogance, and it has been an argument for so long in this human place that we live that the stronger should dominate the weaker, should determine who lives or dies. The arrogance of that, don't you realize that you cannot make your own heart beat? Don't you realize that all the power that you think you possess, you really possess none of it. It is the mercy of God that sustains you, even when you hate him. So they looked at my dear Penny and they said, Gianna will never be anything, which is always encouraging. And she decided to ignore them, and she worked with me three times a day, and I began to hold up my head, and I said, well, Gianna will never this and never that. Long story shorter, I was walking by the age of three and a half with a walker and leg braces, and I stand up here today with a mild little limp and without a walker and leg braces. I fall gracefully sometimes and very ungracefully at other times depending on the situation, but I consider it all for the glory of God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I am weaker 
than most of you, but this is my sermon. And what a small price to pay to be able to blaze through the world as I do and offer hope. And I think in our misunderstanding of the way things work, we, we misunderstand how beautiful suffering can be. I don't willingly sign up for it, but when it comes, we forget. We forget that God is in control and God has a way of making the most miserable thing beautiful. I have met my biological mother. I have forgiven my biological mother. I am a Christian. She's a very broken woman. She came to an event I was having two years ago, showed up unannounced and said, hello, I'm your mother. And it was a very difficult day. And yet while I, while I was enduring all of this, You'll probably think I'm silly, but I was sitting there and I was thinking, I don't belong to you. I belong to Christ. I'm his girl and I'm a princess. So no matter what you say in all your anger and brokenness and rage, it's not mine to keep. It's not mine to carry and I won't. I was saying all this inside. So ladies and gentlemen, you have an opportunity. But for just a brief moment, I would like to speak directly to the men in this room and do something that is never done. Men, you are made for greatness. You are made to stand up and be men. You are made to defend women and children not stand by and turn your head when you know murder is occurring and do nothing about it. You are not made to use women and leave us alone. You are made to be kind and great and gracious and strong and stand for something. Because men, listen to me. I am too tired to do your job. Women, you are not made for abuse. You are not made to sit and, and not know your worth and your value. You are made to be fought for forever. So now is your moment. What sort of people are you going to be? I trust incredible. I trust, men, you will, you will rise to the occasion. To the politicians listening, particularly to the men, I would say this, you are made for greatness, set your politics aside. You are made to defend what is right and good. This fiery young girl will stand here and say, now's your moment. What sort of man do you wanna be? A man obsessed with your own glory or a man obsessed with the glory of God?
It's time to take a stand, Victoria. This is your hour. God will assist you. God will be with you. You have the opportunity to glorify and honor God in 2008. I'll just end with this. Some of you might be slightly annoyed that all I keep doing is talking about God and Jesus. But how on earth can I walk about limping through this world and not give all my heart and mind and soul and strength to the Christ who gave me life? So if you think I'm a fool, it's just another jewel in my crown. My whole intent in living here is to make God smile. I hope some of this made sense. It just came from my heart. God bless and keep you.